Welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, where our mission is to help you to breathe better and stress less. On this show, we discuss a variety of topics and provide practical suggestions for improving health and well-being. However, none of the education, tips, and tricks provided should be taken as medical advice. Your medical doctor is your best bet if you have medical questions. Also, on this podcast, we interview numerous guests from diverse backgrounds, interests, and may carry some unique ideas. Hanu Health as a company does not endorse all statements provided by guests or condone all suggestions or protocols discussed. We just like hearing about cool people doing rad and new things. So sit back, relax, breathe, and enjoy the show. Dr. Will Wallace, or Dr. William Wallace, because I like saying William Wallace, because it's obviously an epic name, which we're going to talk about here in a second. Dude, welcome to the Hanu Health Podcast, man. No, thank you very much for having me. It's actually, I just finished my doctorate this year. Congrats. Thank you. When I was in the heat of finishing my dissertation, I I mean, I was turning down podcasts for like eight months to a year, so it's actually kind of nice to get into it again. Oh man, dude, I totally relate with that, but it gives me a tad bit of like trauma slash PTSD, like reminder, because like I try to dissociate like everything, like in regards to like the last year of completing my doctoral program, uh, because when I was completing my dissertation, like it was just like, it was like 80 to 100 hour weeks, like every week. And I was like crossing my fingers that I was going to get stuff done. Please tell me that your uh, experience was better than that, which it sounds like it may not have been. I don't think that mine was much better because I also had, you know, all of these work commitments on the side that for whatever reason, I just felt like it was uh, necessary to adhere to or make myself responsible for. Now, I mean, I think uh, until it was over, I think every day you're literally, all you're thinking about is that day because when you look at the totality of what has to get done, you're like, there's no way in hell I'm going to I'm going to complete this. So you basically just, you just get to the finish line by taking one small step at a time. And every step seems so terribly arduous. Yeah, dude. I, I, it's so funny how much I relate to that. I mean, I finished my doctoral degree, I guess that's close to six years now. So it's been a while that I've you know been practicing, but it feels like it was yesterday. And my wife, like she tries to dissociate from it as well, because she just remembers like the amount of chaotic time that it took away from me because kind of similar to you, I had so many other commitments because I was completing residency and doing all of that work. So it's kind of like the balance of clinical work and then also research and, you know, publication. It was just Oh, it was a massive, like, just like head implode slash explode. It was both at the same time. So I, I, I feel you there. It's like I tell people there are two things in my life that I basically dissociated from. Uh, one would be my dissertation and the other is like my wedding. And that's not a bad thing. My wife's going to listen to this. Like, what in the world are you talking about? But it's just like there's so much chaos and so much that's going on. You're just like, dude, muscle through it. Grit. Go. <laughs> because otherwise, like, it's just going to smack you. But all in all, the net net here is congrats, my man. Like that is an epic feat um, that not many people make. Uh, and a lot of people, as you know, start the process and don't don't finish it. So, dude, you got to the finish line and now you're, you're busting chops, which is which is awesome. So congrats to you, man. All right, Don, thank you very much. I would say hopefully it's smooth sailing. But so far, things have just, I think, proven to to ramp up a little bit more than I anticipated after it was over. Yeah, all good things, which is which is great. You know, they told me that too. They're like, things, life is going to get a lot smoother. It's going to be an easier, slower pace of life once you're done with your doctoral work. Yeah, they all lied. Like, what kind of life were they living? And a lot of these people were people who completed it. And I'm like, maybe things were for you, but not for me. So yeah, I, I fully understand. It doesn't slow down for the ambitious, no. 
Good point. No, I like that. I, I'll, I'll use that one next time in my my dinner conversations with other psychologists uh, who try to tell me the same thing. I'm like, yeah, got one for you. So no, that's great, man. Uh, you okay? Let's go ahead and squash this big elephant that's in the room. Just because I've been wanting to ask you this like so bad, dude. Your name is epic. I mean, it's Doctor William Wallace. So I wanted to know, like, when were you born? Like, were your parents like huge Braveheart fans? Are they Scottish? Like, or is there like no connection there? You got. You have to get asked this like all the time. There's a connection by happenstance, but I mean, my family is Scottish. Like we have the same Wallace family crest. The family plaid matches up. But uh, I was born in 1991. Yeah, before that, I mean, how many people actually knew the story? I was named after my father's best friend at the time, and then four years later, Braveheart comes out, and then now I can. You know, for the past 20 years of my life can can rarely meet somebody without without. I know I figured you would. I was like, I'm probably going to annoy him by bringing this up. But like, I have to like because I hadn't heard this story yet. And it's just awesome. I was like, he's probably like he's either his he's Scottish or his parents were like super big Braveheart fans or they're Scottish and there are Braveheart fans. But hey, listen, Braveheart aside, I mean, 1991, you you, you own the name. I mean, they're the real Sir William Wallace actually owned the name prior to you. So don't get your you can't get your head too big on that one. But you can say like it wasn't because of the movie. The, the difficult part about all it, it definitely doesn't annoy me it kind of just comes with the territory so you take the the biggest hurdle i think to the name is so much so that I've, I've made it a life goal for myself that if i can somehow work myself into a position or, or do enough quality work over the course of my life to where if you type in william wallace into google if i appear on the first three to five pages of a google search i will have considered my life a success yeah, so the net net here is that if you can optimize your name on Google SEO to go above, uh, you know, Mel Gibson's version of William Wallace, then yeah, you have made it. Like you have truly made it. So I'm, hey man, I'm rooting for you because what that means is that science has prevailed a movie. Not we won't say story because you know most people don't know the real story or they just think it's a fictional movie as well. But but one of the things that I will say is that if we can have science on the top of every SEO search on Google. Man, we've done a great job. So I'm rooting for you, man. <laughs> I don't. I don't anticipate myself to go above Mel Gibson, but I say if I can get if I can get within the first somewhere in the first three pages. I'm sure you'd settle. It's it's like Mel Gibson, then Doctor William Wallace, and then Sir William Wallace. There we go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, man, I, I wanted to tell a little bit of the background and backstory of how I found you um, and, and and how I was exposed to your work. And then I'd love to hear a little bit about your story, like what got you into this, a little bit of your drive. And then obviously, like we'll jump into plenty of content in our time. But, you know, one of the things that I love doing um, is that like I really try to minimize my time on social media and I get it. Like I'm, you know, I work in the social media or I work in the health and wellness influencing sector. Like I own a health technology company. Like I do have to dabble in social media, but I've noticed a pattern for me, um, and this is a great kind of notion to the book uh, by uh, Dr. Anna Lemke, uh, which is Dopamine Nation, which is phenomenal, is like I'm one of the people, just like everyone is, is susceptible to kind of like engaging in these high dopamine, like pleasure principle type behaviors, which is social media. And if I get on it and like don't basically cap myself uh, dude, I'm a mindless scroller on social media. It's just the way that it works. And you know, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. But one of the things that I've had to do is recognize that. And so I really limit kind of who I follow and then how much time I spend on there. But one of the times, I don't know if it was 
a post that came from Andrew Huberman or someone else, maybe Ben Pakolsky or Ben Greenfield, someone had like posted something that you had done. Um, and it was on, uh, it was on neurotransmitters and neurotransmitter depletion, especially with supplementation. And I saw that and I was like, Oh man, it was a cool chart. It was like this flow graph and we'll, we'll, we'll upload this everything onto our show notes. Uh, and I was like, Oh my gosh, like I gotta go follow this dude. So I got onto your Instagram page and like, dude, it was candy. And so I admit, like I stayed way too long on Instagram compared to like what my cap was uh, because I was just like, I loved that what you were doing is you were providing amazing science in a pithy yet potent manner. Like it was beautiful graphics and it was just really easy to understand um, uh, talking and discussing a super complex topic. And so uh, it, that kind of got my, me sparked a little bit. And so like I, I added you, I was like, okay, he's one of the guys I'm following because like I just loved the valuable potent information you were putting out there on Instagram. And so I'd love for you now that I've kind of shared how I found you to tell us a little bit about your background. So like, what is your, what is your PhD in? Like, what's your background in, uh, in research? How did you get involved in this type of study, like in brain health um, and, you know, sports and health longevity? Give us a little bit of the background there, man. Yeah, sure. So I, my, my, um, for people that do know me, they know that my, uh, my undergraduate degree had, no, had nothing to do with what I'm doing now. I had, I had chosen a degree where I could basically just graduate on time because I spent, you know, my late teens and early twenties kind of like partying, uh, partying and sliding my way through college, you know, and obviously I'm playing Monday morning quarterback and just thinking about all the things that I I could have accomplished in that time period had I utilized those four years appropriately. But I mean, all things, all things for a reason you would like to think, right? So anyways, uh, once I realized that I was never going to use that degree, you know, I had spent a year, year and a half outside of school, uh, basically working and trying to acquire prerequisites to get into graduate school for something that I, that I actually wanted to do. Uh, and I was really interested in the exercise sciences. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if it was that or athletic training or PT. Excuse me. I had gotten um, accepted to the University of Tampa exercise and nutrition science. Uh, and that was where I, I had elected to go. I went down there. I started working in the lab. Um, I, I tried out a lot of different things. I tried, you know, to work with some of the athletic training people. I interned in the strength and conditioning department, and then, you know, everybody at the time wanted to be in the lab there. So when I had made no, I wanted to be in the lab. Everybody's like, well, yeah. I mean, everybody comes here, you know, and wants to be in the lab, but nobody really takes you seriously because with research, once you're in it, you realize how kind of tedious things are and you know once a lot of people get started and they realize this really isn't as flashy um, as I thought or exciting as I thought it was and then they they drop out so it wasn't until I uh, I think my second semester there was my my thesis semester so because there was rolling admissions so uh, I went into my thesis semester um, and at the end of that semester I, I presented my thesis and um, it was good enough to, to get the attention of, of the people who were opening and closing doors to the lab. And they're basically like, cool, like you're in, show us what you got. And so after a while, you know, I had, I had kind of worked, worked my way up the, the, I guess, leadership hierarchy there. And, um, I, you know, I was running studies. Um, I was overseeing different lab operations, helping train new techs coming in. And it actually was, um, interestingly, my neuromuscular physiology class where I really started to 
make connections with how the brain interacts with uh, muscle function and then also how those two things communicate bi-directionally and how sensory input affects all of that and influences right. movement blah 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 so my you know my, my initial background was really in like motor learning uh, and neuromuscular physiology and I was actually highly interested in biomechanics at the time so I spent a, a good portion of my start in these things from about 2015 to early 2018 studying you know muscular physiology and biomechanics and then but it, it was that class that really got me interested in the brain and my remember my professor from that class he's like one of the, the the most intelligent people i'd ever met in my life he was an exercise physiologist from brazil and he you know, i remember having several conversations with him about the brain he's like you know if i could go back and do it all over again i'd do neuroscience it's just like uh, it's it fascinates me. i've heard that from so many people and i think one of the most fascinating thing about things about it is that like that is one of the like uh like main frontiers or areas of study that still is just like almost basically untapped i mean we've tapped into a lot but probably when we look back in the next so let's say 50 years we're gonna be like dude we didn't know crap about the brain from what we know now so it's like just such an amazing frontier that's uh still got we have so much to learn so I, I get the pull that people have you know to neuroscience because that's what my pull was um is that like it's like man this is an area of human behavior brain functioning brain health and longevity that we just haven't explored and i'd love to be a part of it it influences i mean just so much of everything that, that we're involved in i have my my right. interests really they, they they relate to you know learning and psychology and human behavior and really all of those things tie back to the brain in some capacity. And so sure. to me, and also, you know, what I was involved in at the time was more like sports nutrition. And a lot of the research we were doing was geared towards sports nutrition. So I was involved in like the, the usage of supplements for different modalities. But I, I was kind of bound to sports nutrition early on. And this was actually, so this is back, let's say 2015, 2016. This was kind of when nootropics started to become like a, a hot a buzzword is that the, is that the modafinil time was that, that when was the silicon valley modafinil explosion i feel like that was in like the it was around that time modafinil might have started blowing up a little bit before that but yeah, yeah, this is yeah. when like commercially people really started to hear about right. these things yeah and so i remember people bringing these things like other graduate students bringing these some things into the lab and we're like, oh, like, what are these? You know, and you just kind of like start playing with them and you're like, I'm curious about what they start reading yeah. up on things and took me down the, uh, the proverbial rabbit hole. And then so pretty, sure. so pretty quickly, I, you know, from firsthand experience, I, I realized some of the, the positive influences these things could have, but also a lot of the, a lot of the negative ones. Um, and and yeah. the more you educate yourself in these things and the, the more you you experience them, then yeah. hopefully you're not one of those people. But I think that, you know, if I have become very proficient in these things, it's because I was highly uh, inefficient and not proficient for quite a period of time. And I, I suffered the consequences for it. And to this day, still, still do to a, to a degree. 
Yeah, that's an interesting statement. I mean, one of the things I've been a part of, you know, the health and wellness field and, and you know, I guess you could say the the so-called, you know, biohacking field for a long time now. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting, the mentality that a lot of health optimization, longevity, biohackers or said biohackers, like it's, it's interesting to watch their mentality because it's basically like, I'm going to throw everything under the kitchen sink at this and I'm just going to be kind of like this in of one tester of everything. Uh, and they go from like, you know, maybe not feeling good to feeling like pretty good. And then they're like, well, now we just throw more at it. And then they start like, oh, this is not working. Or I'm feeling worse. Uh, but they keep on just doing it and doing it and doing it without much of an understanding of, how, of what they're putting into their body and kind of the behavior they're engaging in, like how it can significantly impact them. So I'm kind of one of those people, man. Like when I heard about this field of nootropics and dude, and, and listen, and I want to be very clear to the listeners here. Uh, I was one of the people that like, I had a really good background in neuroscience, um, in neuropsychology and the way the brain functions and operates uh, with exogenous substances. I had a pretty good background, especially compared to most people in the world. And I still was like, oh, I'm a biohacker. Like, I just want to take every nootropic there is and I'm going to mix them. I'm going to match them. And dude, it had me feeling like garbage until I learned about it. And then I started to be able to optimize things and utilize them effectively. And like, I like the word that you used efficiently. So is that what you're referring to? Like when you say kind of like, were you kind of like one of those like, hey, I'm going to be the the, the lab rat here and test stuff out on me? Or was it more like, oh, no, I didn't realize, you know, or I didn't understand this stuff. And then I got into the research and then became more aware of it. Like, what was that personal journey like for you? So I think the, the personal journey for me was more because at the time, my work requirements had me focus, like say in the exercise sciences, but my my interests, like a lot of my peak interests were more in supplementation, but also brain function. So, uh, you know, I was studying really the different functions of the brain at the time. Because also now, you know, if we move forward a little bit, I was going through my PhD and I, I got my PhD through Concordia in Chicago. So it was health and human performance was the, the degree. And yeah. my primary focuses were neuro and nutrition, because in, in programs like that, your focuses are what, what you're studying and like what your dissertation is yeah. leading to. And I was working in a lab from 2015 to 2018. And then from 2018 to early this year, I went to go work for the company Life Extension down in Fort Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And then I was, that's when I entered more of the health and longevity space. And every, and so I was also highly involved in designing, uh, designing research for the clinical lab there because they have their own clinical lab. So, Throughout this entire period of me working and doing my dissertation, I was always involved in lab work and I was always surrounded by PhDs from different fields at Life Extension. You know, I had, uh, I would say as far as academic tenure goes, I was at the low end of the totem pole where I worked. Like I was still in the middle of my PhD. Uh, the person to the, in the office to the right of me was a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Miami. The person to the left of me was a PhD in molecular biology from Jamaica, uh, you know, or something like that. And then the people across the hall from me, like it was all the same thing. So I was always surrounded by people who were much more, I would say, educated than I was in different fields. But <clears throat> excuse me, we were all tied together on the same team that was really on the frontier of supplemental nutrition. Like not only were we, you know, it's a supplement company, but the, the product development that we were involved in was really concerned with finding new and novel 
modalities and creating different technologies to deliver nutrition to people in an effective way. Like some of the things that we were doing, it's funny because I actually was at a conference a couple months ago and somebody had said to me like, oh, like life extension, like, yeah, like, <clears throat> and this person's situated more in sports nutrition. They're like, yeah, they're like, uh, they don't really do a whole lot of like new interesting stuff, do they? And I was like, it just like, it just reflected the disconnect to me because like, no, like some of the things they yeah. do are so high level and so far ahead of what everybody else does right. that, the, you know, commercially people don't grasp it. And that, you know, and that might've been maybe like yep. a, a marketing thing that they need to work on. But I, I was highly fortunate to have, I say like my start within the dietary supplement industry with, with that company because they're known for their scientific rigor and all the experience and knowledge that I was able to accumulate from people who were much more intelligent and experienced than I was and all these different field perspectives. But all throughout that time, now entering the field of longevity and general health, now I, I was becoming more learned on nutrition and how it affects not just sports performance and muscle function, but brain function, you know, right. liver function, pancreatic function, like, and so I was exposed to a new depth and breadth of knowledge and the whole time exploring and studying these interests of mine further. And again, like I said, like prior to, I think that I had done myself a disservice for, you know, not using exogenous substances appropriately. And then because of that, was having to try to retroactively then experiment on myself to figure out, okay, now how can I try to get myself to return to some kind of baseline that one might consider normal? Yeah. It's it, for me. And it sounds like for you too, though, like, there has to be like this level of deconstructing because I had this kind of like idea for me. It's like, well, you know, I'm feeling really good now. I'm ready to optimize. So optimizing must just mean that when I throw everything in the kitchen sink at it, you know, I hear, you know, whatever a health influencer or biohacker saying, Hey, I tried, this, this is really great. And then what do people do? They go out and buy it because in the end, like supplementation for a lot of people is easier than doing some other you know, like health behaviors because we're talking about taking a pill. What's well, funny. I'm sure you know this is that the research has actually indicated that even with supplementation like a lot of people find that to be a difficult behavior so that's where like oh man now we know like we're truly like in some trouble if like taking a supplement or let's even go into the pharmacological route taking medication is difficult for people like yeah how are we going to get them like uh, you know exercising or engaging in you know whatever other type of health behavior but you know a lot of it for me was again deconstructing like my thoughts and it brings me to a question that I have for you that I'm, I'm just genuinely kind of curious as to your take on this, I feel like there's such a dichotomy out there on viewpoints in regards to supplementation. You've got like the longevity, the health and wellness people, like the, you know, health and human optimization, biohacker community, which is like gung ho. I'll take everything under the sun right now. Like I don't even care. You don't have to tell me any mechanism of action. You don't even have to tell me the name of it. Just put it in front of me. It gives me a longer, better life. I'll take it, you know, quote unquote, longer, better life. And you've got like the opposite end of the spectrum of people who are like, nope, like supplement industry, they're just out there to kind of like screw us all over with marketing. Like it's all just a bunch of sugar pill. Like it doesn't actually work. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, is there, is there a middle ground here? Like, 
Have you seen that kind of like, how do you reconcile that? Like that balance there? Because that's like a really weird one to me that we have like, almost like, I won't say the conventional medical side, who's like on the like anti-supplement side. And then you've got like the biohacking health optimization side, who's like on the anti-pharmacological side, but it feels like that dichotomy. Is that something that you see, something that you've experienced? And then how do you reconcile that? I mean, absolutely. I think that a lot of us, depending on where you kind of like, Sit. Like, I think some of us, you look at it as a, a spectrum with a hard line drawn in the middle, and some of us might lean like left or right of center. But yep. you know, I would like to think that you know, it sounds like you're you might be similar to me in this vein is that you understand the importance and the necessity of modern medicine, but you know, try to see like when is it most beneficial and, and relevant, and then also when is it more practical and useful to use more of a you know, say natural natural remedies on people, but I don't think that anything is as simple as uh, big pharma is Satan and no, the supplement, the FDA is just out to make a buck and the supplement industry like is unregulated, which is one of the weirdest things that that when people say to me like, oh, like the the supplement industry is not regulated. I'm like, actually, the supplement industry is a lot more regulated than most of your food. And sure, like I'm I'm pro supplementation. Like, you know, I love learning about these things. I believe in it. I believe that in the appropriate context uh, and when used in an intelligent manner, I believe in the efficacy of of natural supplementation. That's why I do what I do. I don't, a lot of people say on Instagram or something may not necessarily know what I do because I I don't sell anything on Instagram because I don't really, I don't really need to. It's not really my primary motive, Um, but being involved for the past you know, seven years in the supplement industry in some capacity. And I've, uh, you know, the, the really the, I would say the, the constructs or the structures that I've worked in the most are product development, compliance and quality and being so involved in those things, then you really do actually understand the nuance of all the different governing bodies and where they sure. play a role versus where they don't. The FDA in a lot of cases, right, if you, uh, you know, if you're a part of like the Council for Responsible Nutrition or the Natural Products Association, which kind of act as the voice of the people when it comes to dietary supplements, a lot of times those regulatory bodies, those agencies are fighting the FDA for people's right to supplement with certain things. And, and we see the, the, the most recent example of that is the FDA trying to take uh, N-acetylcysteine off of the shelves and both right. the Council for Responsible Nutrition and Natural Products Association basically putting in citizens' petition, citizens' petitions to fight that. And then as early as last week, I believe the Natural Products Association has sued the FDA because of their response to those citizens' petitions. Because we, we I mean, most of us who, again, are knowledgeable about these things know the benefit of something like N-acetylcysteine for your right. average consumer. It has a, a long a long history of safe and effective use for a bunch of different conditions. And so we have different bodies that fight for the people against the FDA to not regulate so harshly on some of these things. But a lot, but if you also go into the grocery store and then look at food on the other side of things, if you go through the entire produce section, I guarantee that nobody had to test that food coming in for pesticides or herbicides. And, you know, here at our manufacturing facility, we test everything that comes in the door for those things. Right. So it's a good point. Yeah. It, yeah. Just people just aren't educated 
on in these, and you wouldn't, it's difficult to expect them to be two because everybody's, you know, people have jobs and families and, but a lot of things that people say are just completely opinion based and not based off of much knowledge about matters they're speaking on. It's a great point or it's just hearsay, right? I mean, you hear people hear something on whatever, you know, Fox news or CNN or whatever, whatever news outlet you get your media from. And they just kind of take it as fact. And they say, Oh yeah, I heard, you know, whoever Tucker Carlson, I'm going to get sued by Tucker Carlson. Um, you know, so the supplement industry is not regulated or you have Rachel Maddow. I'm going to go take two like opposites. <laughs> so the supplement industry is not regulated. And then therefore like people just take that and then they spread the word, you know, how things happen. And this happens on social media. It happens in, you know, just, you know, grocery store conversations without them fully digging in. And I think that, yeah, you're right. Like people aren't going to have the full amount of time to devote to studying things like you or like me or like others who are professionals and experts in the field. We get that. But also too, we do have a duty to make sure that we're at least looking into some things and at least getting a little bit of quality education on those things. And that's why, again, like I love the fact that like on your Instagram, I can hop on there and get really good information with scientific citation, something that has been through the rigors so that we can kind of, you know, fact check you instead of you just saying like, Hey, like, you know, don't, don't do this. Don't do that. Which you you don't really do that on your, on your Instagram. Like a, don't do this, don't do that type thing. But you know, it's something that you kind of lay it out there and you say, well, this is what science has to say, which is really good. It helps to kind of like, I, I, I've, I've viewed kind of your work as a, as a means to help move us back towards the middle so that we can, you know, not be on these kind of polar ends of the spectrum. This is not like, you know, politics, but it's becoming kind of like politics in the field of like integrative health and, or functional medicine. And then the field of allopathic or conventional medicine it's like these two entities are trying to like fight each other and it's like ah, maybe we should kind of look at like the middle ground here which is you know what i hear you say so i think i think it's a good point you know one of the things that i've 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 had i've heard this argument for so many years and i'd love to hear your take on it because again i think you come from a really balanced view on this will is that i've heard um uh, this notion that listen like haven't we evolved like as human beings to be able to get everything that we need from food uh, or from kind of the things that are like here on earth and, and instead of having to like take something in supplemental form like what's the need for supplements if we can just get it from food like are you someone that believes yeah you can get everything that you need from food or are there certain circumstances where you can't do that or like what's your take on that because again i've heard some arguments for against them i just love to hear yours yeah so this is a this is a really a multi-prong matter because I think it's nobody is going to argue the idea that food today tends to contain less nutrients generally than food. That's a good argument to make for, <coughs> excuse me, for why we may not be able to get everything we need from food nowadays. That's just, that's just part of the argument. You know, I think that, <coughs> excuse me, we also have more access to different kinds of foods today than we did a hundred years ago. So, you know, we, we can regularly go to the grocery store and pick something up that's, you know, traditionally found in South America or in Asia, which we could right. not have done X amount of years ago. And, and so we can actually fill the, the gaps in our nutritional needs, uh, getting sources of nutrients from other places that we couldn't previously do. So there's a lot of arguments on both sides that you can use to make it's really a cogent point for your argument, but I think that there, there are different things to consider that affect, I would say general, <coughs> excuse me, general nutrient status that a lot of people don't include in those arguments. And one of those is being 
that we probably live in a time nowadays where we experience, right? And I don't, I'm not even sure that I can make this claim. So maybe you can tell me what you think, but it seems as though we live in a society where we experience more cumulative stress than we did a couple hundred years ago. People nutrient, I mean, you become nutrient depleted under conditions of stress and illness. How, how so? I know that can kind of take us in a different direction, but I think it's a great question that a lot of people are probably thinking like, I've never heard of that. So how so? Yeah. I mean, uh, gosh, there's just so many different ways. I mean, if you're stressed out, then you have increased uh, activity of either urinate or adaptive immune system. Those things require nutrients. Cortisol itself triggers the the synthesis and the metabolism of different chemicals in the body, be those neurotransmitters or different hormones in the periphery. And all of these things require nutrients. All of these things require antioxidants, which you know can oxidize and then need to be reduced and those require reducing agents which require more nutrients and it would you say would you say will all that a lot of that so let's say kind of if stress is the mediating variable it's the factor that's kind of causing the depletion of a lot of these uh, uh things that you've mentioned is it predominantly due uh in in your opinion because of the massive amounts of inflammation that high stress or chronic stress causes um, that then wreaks havoc on the entire physiology oh certainly i mean inflammation uh, by proxy can be it can cause and be exacerbated by you know increased glycolysis in you know different cells of the immune system like you know macrophages but inflammation itself can i mean deplete almost every nutrient that i think that we could sit and list off here not only that but inflammation is going to affect somebody's absorption capacity of nutrients that they're trying to take in. So, I mean, you can tie, you know, I know, I know it's a uh, cliche saying, but you can pretty much tie inflammation back to the etiology of almost any condition that, that we can list off here. And I would say that probably in the society or the state of things that we live in today, then even look, considering low-grade inflammation, which you know, can be a cause by or a byproduct of, of so many things, just day-to-day stressors, then say cumulatively, like we don't tend to think about the impact that that's having on our bodies over the course of a day to days to weeks. Like I think yesterday I was actually thinking about this, uh, you know, the day was excuse me, filled with so many small stressors. I remember thinking at the end of the day that I just felt completely exhausted and being like, you know, I just, I felt very high strung all day and I felt incredibly depleted. And I was like, man, like I eat, I eat as much as I normally do. You know, I, 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 I tend to eat pretty, say a healthy diet. I think I get plenty of nutrients from various sources. Also realizing that the past couple of days had also been like that. And even though I had thought that I had gotten sufficient sleep as well, I mean, just every day with little stress here, little stress here, little stress here. You don't tend to think about the isolated incidents very much, but when you have one after the other after the other, then those become cumulative, pretty much the, I guess you call it the allostatic load on the body increases. And it's just like adding bricks into a backpack and you just walking around and not paying attention to the added bricks. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, like this is really heavy. You know, like what's going on? You realize like, there's a lot of bricks back here. I should probably figure out ways to start unloading these. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, that's the key thing we do here at Hanu Health, right? Is we want to help people to become more self-aware of when they're experiencing their stress response, their autonomic nervous system going haywire, and then self-regulate it. And, you know, we we, we teach so many different means um, or, or, or ways of increasing kind of our adaptability as well as our resiliency to stress. And we focus a lot, you know, on breath work, on exercise, on nutrition. But I think that one thing that, again, we get so many questions about like how how can we optimize supplementation? And I know like, I, I, it's funny because I, we were talking um, uh, prior to recording about how like I will get emails. I can't even tell you how many emails that I've gotten over the past, maybe let's say three to four years about like, should I be taking 5-HTP? Because I don't feel, I feel a little bit down. I'm a little depressed. And I, you know, I heard somebody say that like, you know, this is probably a serotonin issue. And so therefore I must take 5-HTP. Um, and they do it, um, not under me telling them, they should, but they do it. And they're like, well, I don't feel anything or I feel crummy or I feel, you know, you fill in the blank. And so there's just so many like myths here um, that, that I think we need to dispel. And so I think it's a great transition time for us to talk about that. So uh, again, what are the role of, um, and we can either start with supplements or we can start with kind of like one of the other things, maybe if we want to talk about like the ideology of things is like, where do we start number one and like determining kind of like what we should do from a supplementation standpoint? Because you said, well, there can, you know, be mineral depletion, I'm assuming, you know, vitamin depletion, kind of all of these things that happen when we're experiencing these chronic states of stress, the sympathetic nervous systems amped up. So like, where do we even start with this? Do you have a recommendation? Uh, like, do we need to get assessed for our mineral you know, levels for our vitamin levels and have that as a basis? Or can we just say, hey, supplement it up? Like, let's go 5-HTP. I'm depressed, you know, said depressed. Let me go get 5-HTP. Where's the starting place here? I understand that depending on who you ask here, uh, and also wildly different answers because there really sure. there really is no right answer. So I think what I try to do is now there's a lot of good answers, but the way that I try to look at these things is from a standpoint of practicality. I have to try to think about this from the perspective of I try to use my parents because they're kind of like the uh, the typical consumer. Like they're not like neither of my parents are obese or chronically ill. I would call them part of the general population where they don't exercise very much. They they don't like taking pills, which is actually busy. That is very, very consistent across the general population. You realize yeah. that if you start, you know, if you're part of like producing a, uh, a dietary supplement, if you're using a, a pills or tablets, adherence starts to go down dramatically after two pills because people just hate taking pills. And like so people like me, I'm like, what, I mean, I'll take, if I had to, I'll take 12 pills and one handful, right. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. You have to look at it from the standpoint of the general consumer and, and people who whose health may not be, I would say, consider like as good as mine, you know, because like I, I'm fortunate enough to be knowledgeable about several things in Sarah. So like I do the best I can with exercise. I do the best I can with my sleep. Even though these things aren't optimal at all times, they certainly aren't because sure. life is a thing. You know, I, I try to meditate as frequently as I can. I, yeah. my, my nutrition's on point. I think I have my supplementation on point. And so not everybody is me and, and certainly not everybody is you. So the best, <coughs> excuse me, the best way to look at this is through the lens of the, the typical American who does not have sufficient knowledge to be optimal in, in all cases. 
And so I think practicality is the best thing to do. And so with that being said, like, sure, you can go get like, uh, you, can, you can go get like a vitamin panel done and you can go get gene testing done. And, and those are kind of all like, but some people can't even afford that. And some people's yeah. insurance will cover it. And even then, right. you know, you know that a lot of times when looking at different vitamins and blood levels, that may not be indicative of a deficiency or adequacy or your usefulness. Exactly. Now, it, it, it can be one thing used with several other things to come up with a possibility of what's happening. Most people just aren't going to take that route. So what do you do? Right. And so I think what you have to do is look at some of the molecules that are necess that are absolutely necessary for human health and to sustain life. And then we can talk about yeah. What 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 are those? So we can talk about things as general protein, which I know that that's kind of a topic that's like beaten like a dead horse, like at least in our circles. Yeah. It's not sexy anymore, right? You know, it used to be like, oh yeah, let's talk about protein. That's sexy. Now people are like, let's just get over the other stuff. But it's such a like low hanging fruit for everybody. But I mean, if you're not getting in enough protein, then vitamin A, cysteine, uh, vitamin uh, B vitamins vitamin E, vitamin C, all of those deficiencies can ensue from not getting enough protein. You're like, well, that's odd because protein is protein and may not contain you know, many vitamins within the material. And that's the rate limiting enzyme for, or the rate limiting substrate, sorry, for glutathione synthesis. And if you don't have enough glutathione, then you're not able to adequately reduce oxidized vitamin C back into its usable antioxidant form. Now you have a vitamin C deficiency, which would also exacerbate a glutathione deficiency because vitamin C is also used to reduce recycled glutathione. So all, you know, you just like see like the cascade of events that can happen from not getting enough protein in your diet. Then the person would then, well, let's say they get a panel and they say, oh man, I'm vitamin C deficient because of the pathway you just told me about. It didn't start there. It started somewhere else that then led to a depletion or you know the, 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 the degradation of vitamin C levels. But then people will be like, oh, especially in the functional medicine world, it's like fung vitamin C like is, is deficient. So therefore, let me just take a vitamin C supplement. Is that the route, right route? Or are we missing something and should go back to the starting place? Now, I think that this, this plays into like the totality of the answer I was going to give to this is looking at all of the things that are necessary for human health. And I think that also the important thing to be mindful of here is that we need to be honest with ourselves. And when I, when I say that, what I mean is that let's look at the actual like pillars of human health being like nutrition, sleep, exercise, you can throw in meditation, although it's not necessary for survival. I don't think anybody would argue that doing it is not helpful in some way or, or can be. Assuming that you're honest with yourself, you know, and all these things, like I'm doing the best I can with my nutrition, I'm doing the best with my sleep. And when I say being honest, I don't mean like, well, I go to bed at 1130 every night and I gotta get up at 5 a.m. for work. Like I'm doing the best I can to fall asleep. But, but you know, you get home from work and then you take care of all your your duties and you make dinner and you clean up. Watch Netflix for three hours. 9 p.m. to 11.30, watch Netflix. Like, are you really being honest with yourself that you're doing the best you can for your sleep? You actually are make sure you're getting enough protein. You're getting enough, you know, healthy fats in your diet. And you're also getting enough basically total energy. You're also, you're getting enough sleep. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're meditating here and there, that one you can kind of put on the table or, or leave it off or whatever, but you're exercising frequently, but not so frequently that you're kind of burning yourself out. Then 
you can now if you can honestly say yes i'm doing the best i can now also i understand that like life happens and like some people have, have they have babies uh they might have a sleep condition so they may not under normal on their normal conditions be able to optimize something like sleep but now we can look at supplementation because supplementation it's called supplementation and not substitution for a reason yeah. like we're not going to yeah. substitute supplements for sleep right now they may help supplements can help to plug holes when situations without them are not what we would call optimized so if somebody does have a condition that's not allowing them to get enough deep sleep or you know a long duration of sleep or they do have a newborn then they may need to take some supplements that help them get to sleep a little bit faster or maybe help them get the most out of the sleep they are getting but i do think <coughs> excuse me that when we look at where do we start now again you have your bases covered and you think like i'm doing the best i can in these areas so like i shouldn't have say like I, I shouldn't be like protein deficient or I shouldn't be, I, I'm getting enough healthy fats, so on and so forth. You look at the vitamins and the minerals that are necessary to sustain human life and for biological processes. You don't have to get super nuanced and be like, oh, I'm gonna start taking all these cognitive enhancers and I'm gonna start taking these, these really cool herbs that I heard affect your physiology like this. But like, why don't we, there's nothing wrong with those things. But before we, we get, <coughs> excuse me, all complicated, let's look at the things that are necessary for biological function. So you have, I mean, vitamins, actually the term vitamin came from the term vital amine in 1912. That was after some of the B vitamins were discovered and an amine is a derivative of ammonia. And so these were called vital amines because they were found to be, oh, these are necessary to sustain biological function. But then in right. 1920, basically the, the guy who had discovered the, uh, these vital amines found out that not all vitamins were amines. Some of them were amides. And so the, the term went from vitamins with an E at the end to vitamins. They dropped the E off. Sure. But that's, that's where the term vitamins came from. These things are necessary. That's what we classify as a vitamin is something that is necessary to sustain biological function. The good thing about those things is under normal circumstances, it can be difficult to take too much of these things. That's not to say that that does not happen, but you can take a little bit more than your regular RDA and not have to worry about severe side effects or consequences in most cases. So you don't necessarily have to go get a vitamin panel as long as you're not taking uh, 10,000 to 20,000 IUs of, of vitamin A every day then right. you don't necessarily have to worry about getting like a thousand IUs of vitamin A. You're not, you're probably not going to sustain any negative side effects from something like that. But I mean, of course, all of this is on an individual basis and you have different people have maybe different genetic mutations, which then adds a layer of complexity to, okay, well, what vitamins might I be more susceptible uh, to having deficiencies in? And then what's going to you know, what effects are going to be downstream of that. But I do think that before we get super complicated, let's look at the things that we absolutely need to sustain general well-being in life. And we can focus on those. And then once we have that situated and you feel like, okay, like I'm actually feeling pretty good. Like I don't feel wonderful, 
but I feel way better than I did. Like, okay, now at least at least we have something that we're working with. And now if you can get vitamin panels or you can get assessed for certain nutrient deficiencies, then great. I think if the option's there, then you know, then that has to be something that's considered. But practicality and simplicity before just like you know, throwing in the kitchen sink or like taking the, the biohacker yeah. approach, as you've yeah. mentioned. Uh, this might be a bit of a loaded question and feel free to answer as you will. Uh, is there any supplementation out there that you think is pretty universal or ubiquitous or that basically you can say almost everybody, if not everybody, like should be taking this or is that not even a thing? No, I think that that can be a thing. Like there are things that I typically, regardless of what now... Again, I can't say regardless of somebody's condition because there's so many different nuanced conditions. You know, you say in some cases, a small amount of vitamin B1 could stimulate tumor growth, but a high amount of vitamin B1 can suppress tumor growth. So how does that help somebody? But I do think under most cases, are some things that people can take that will generally speaking confer benefit rather than any kind of negative consequences, regardless of uh, say a condition somebody has, uh, but also then if you add in medication that somebody might be taking for a certain condition, then that also, that would probably change my answer here. And it's a very short list, but I do think that generally, uh, high quality omega threes. And I know that there's for whatever reason, actually, I know the arguments. I just don't know where they came from why there's there's a stigma against omega-3s floating around the internet I, that that would be a completely different topic to roll off into but do, do you have a uh, do you have a dosing um and and does epa dha um in your research matter uh, like kind of the ratio um and then and and then just dosing in general um or or, or is that something that's not really necessarily agreed upon. I, I, I would say that the data on that actually is not as straightforward as people think it is but epa does seem to confer more cardiovascular benefit and also have more of an impact on depression comparatively yeah, to comparatively to DHA. But that doesn't mean that DHA itself is useless. I mean, most of the polyunsaturated fatty acids in our brain are DHA. And DHA itself does have, oh gosh, it's recycling rate. This is the case in rodents. I don't think we know what it is in humans, but we just kind of assume that it's similar, although the number might be different. The recycling rate of DHA is 137 times uh, faster than the recycling rate of EPA. So our bodies, go, we go through a lot of DHA, but we're pretty efficient at actually recycling and reusing it. But DHA is necessary for the stability of membrane integrity. And then especially in the brain, as well as like, you know, signal, signal sending and processing. So propagation speed down an axon because myelin sheath are largely made up of DHA. So I'm not saying somebody should take a certain amount of EPA versus DHA. I do generally think that for most people that you don't need to stress on the ratio and that if you're getting, if you're getting somewhere now, this is perfect case scenario, you're getting between three and six grams of omega threes that now within that DHA and EPA are maybe close to a one-to-one, but they don't have to be, then you're probably doing better than 
you're probably doing better than most people. So we got, all right. So we're talking about, again, universal supplements. So a high quality omega-3 um, is kind of num- number one. And then uh, what, what are the other ones? I know you said it was a pretty short list. So vitamin D. With with vitamin K? Because I feel like everybody's saying like it should be with vitamin K. Some people are like, no, nah, it doesn't need to be. What's your take on that? So uh, this kind of depends on like, now it's not completely necessary as soon, under yeah. if, if you're a, uh, I would say a typically healthy person with a, a good diet, then I don't think that that one is necessary. And I mean, I know why people say that because the hormone or the active form of vitamin D, calcitriol is called that because it helps absorb calcium in the gut. And then obviously vitamin K2 basically carboxylates matrix GLA protein and prevents arterial calcification by helping shuttle that calcium into bone where we do want most of it. So there's the rationale behind that. Is it, right. is it necessary to do together? I mean, unless you're taking in incredibly high doses of calcium and incredibly high doses of vitamin D, then I don't think that it's an absolute necessity. However, you know, I have like, <clears throat> like my, my grandfather is uh, diabetic, you know, and in, in that, in, 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 in a case like that, you know, like my grandma, was like, yeah, can he take vitamin D? And like, yeah, he can take vitamin D, but I would take, I would take vitamin K with it because I think he all, he's also taking yeah. uh, calcium, I believe, because of, you know, because of his brittle bones at his age. So, sure. uh, so under conditions like that, I'm like, yeah, you know, vitamin K can be very synergistic with that. But right. if I'm taking, I take vitamin D every day, but do I take vitamin K two every day? No, I don't think it's necessary for me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. That's good to know. All right. So we've got omega threes. We've got vitamin D creatine. Oh, I love it. I love it. And are we talking about like, just like five grams of like monohydrate or do you have like a specialty type of creatine? I know there's so many things out there, you know, there's different esters, there's, you know, you you name it out there. What say you? So creatine monohydrate is going to be fine for most people. I think most of us are privy to the information that creatine, that no other forms of creatine fare better than creatine monohydrate. And like what's most, you know, the most important thing with creatine supplementation is that it's used consistently. But I believe our our bodies, we metabolize about two grams of creatine every day. So we really only need two grams of creatine to make up for what we're losing. But that doesn't mean that we've saturated our stores. So you know, you can do, there's different modalities. You can do the, the 20 grams per day for a couple of days loading phase. Like there actually is science to back that protocol, <clears throat> excuse me, in terms of saturating your stores more quickly. And then after that, lowering the dose to a, a three to five gram dose, maintenance dose. Now, if you just want to, if you're not somebody who wants to be taking in a high dose of this, then you could just take two grams of creatine every day. You know, if you're not much of a meat eater or you're not sure how much creatine you're getting through say like meat or red meat consumption, then you could take in two grams and just make up for what you're losing every day. Or you can take three to five grams for a period of a couple of weeks and saturate creatine stores that way. And then, excuse me, and then drop down to say a two to three gram maintenance dose. And, you know, to, to this point in time, there's no evidence that long-term supplementation of creatine has any harmful implications. Uh, yeah. Everything that you see, I mean, you see more and more data coming out to support creatine's use, 
for all kinds of things way outside of sports nutrition. I mean, something I saw, I was reading something last month about uh, creatine's ability to be used by cytotoxic T cells as, uh, you know, basically support their tumor suppressing action because when, when these T cells basically raise an activity, then their de novo synthesis of creatine goes down, but they can import creatine and they use creatine for energy as they're basically attacking tumor, tumor or cancerous cells. And that's why we see it being commercially becoming even more and more popular. Like the, the, com- right. the company that I'm with right now, I mean, we sell creatine and creatine sales have been going up so like so like yeah. exponentially higher than what we thought they would be this year you know and yeah. we're selling the uh you know what's generally regarded as the, the purest form of creatine on the market crea pure coming out of germany oh nice yeah crea pure so my buddy ben greenfield uh his uh Keon, his company that's what they use i mean they just basically like repurpose crea pure uh, and that's the creatine that i use on a daily basis so that's that's cool i'm glad to know that i'm using uh, i i trusted ben when he said hey this is the pure stuff out there but i i, I trust you even more on this one so <laughs> ben's gonna listen to this and be like what in the world <laughs> That's awesome, man. I mean, it's weird. Like, you know, it's like I would tell my parents, like my, my mom, I'd tell my mom, you should take creatine. And she'd be like, why would I take that? Like, I'm not a bodybuilder. Yeah. I'm like, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the notion, right? I mean, that's what the, the next question I was going to ask you. The paradigm has been, oh, creatine. That's for, you know, muscle protein synthesis, ATP, you know, it, uh, you know, uh, utilization within the muscular tissue to help be- develop big and bulky muscles. So I was curious because, you know, a lot of people are going to think that just like your mom would. Uh, but you've got this on your short list of three that that everybody could benefit from. So it's obviously not just for the bodybuilders. So why do you think it is kind of like that one that really everybody should be be taking on a daily basis? So like the ATP synthesis reasons or like the, you know, energy reasons or what what do you what do you think is kind of why everybody would benefit? Or maybe it is for mu- muscle protein synthesis. If I can get it out there. I mean, well there's some evidence suggesting that it may support muscle protein synthesis, but uh, primarily, so many different tissues of the body use it as an energy substrate, and they, right. they, they use it to support you know cellular bioenergetics because you know different uh, different cells have different biological activity and they activity and they consume you know, say different varying degrees of of ATP and resources. But some of these like high energy turnover cells of the body, like brain cells or liver cells, even cardiac cells, use creatine in some capacity for supporting energy and actually it's uh, energy production by a cell is just the idea of it i think is underrated in the you know in the the commercial health space Uh, i believe it's been suggested that uh, a decrease in energy output by a cell so an inability for a cell to meet its energy needs is one of the primary factors that causes uh, basically a kill signal and that signals right. signals for the death of that cell and that's why we see like uh, we hear the words mitochondrial dysfunction a whole lot implicated in a lot of different diseases it's you know not only is something like that causing say a lot of stress and inflammation within a cell but if a cell is not able to produce enough energy to meet its needs then that's basically that's basically a, a default signal for the cell to be like I'm done. That's fascinating. You know, I I, I had predicted that you were going to say omega threes. I had predicted that you were going to say vitamin D. I didn't know uh, and didn't predict creatine, but I, I it, it makes sense. I think it's a quite useful 
underrated uh, longevity supplements and then just general health and wellness supplements. So I'm glad that you, uh, you know, you, you pointed the case there. Well, here's where we are. Like we've got probably another thousand subjects that I wanted to get through, which is just means I'm going to have to have you on at some other point. I know you've got a hard stop right here. So we'll go ahead and like wrap things up. Uh, but again, like next time I have you on, I want to talk about nootropics. I want to talk about kind of like all the brain health stuff. But what I can say just to kind of like, you know, uh, wet somebody's um, and what's the, uh, I was trying to think of the phrase, wet, wet your interest. That doesn't sound right. No, well, whatever. Uh, get people interested in your content is to get you over to your Instagram, which is at Dr. William Wallet. Are you on other social media platforms or is that like your primary one? I'm on Twitter right now and that handle is different because Dr. William Wallace is too long. So that's, that's at, at Will the Wallace. I'm not incredibly active on Twitter, but uh, research publication. So if I see something interesting, then you know, I'll, I'll retweet it and say, stay up to date with some of the more recent publications in uh, nutrition or brain science, then they can shoot over there if they're interested. Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. Well, again, we'll link all this in the show notes. If anybody wants to visit, go to hanuhealth.com slash podcast. Everything will be there. Uh, again, I'm going to have you on soon because I want to get into all things like nootropics and all the other stuff that I have on my like my long list of things I'm going to talk to you about. But uh, you know, w- once we get going on a certain topic, we can go forever. So, dude, I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for so much for coming on to the Hanu Health Podcast. And uh, you know, in- until next time. Oh, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. All right, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in again we'll be back next week uh, for another episode of hanu health you guys take care make sure that you uh, avoid all those stressors in life which is unavoidable but you manage them well all right everybody take care thanks for listening to the hanu health podcast we hope you enjoyed the show this podcast would not happen without listeners and supporters like you. And the best way to support us and the show is to head on over to iTunes and provide us with a five-star review. This helps us reach others and spread the good word of breathing and stress resiliency. If we read your five-star review on air, please reach out to podcast at hanuhealth.com with your name and mailing address, and we will send you some sweet Hanu gear. Until next time, breathe better and stress less. Thank you.